0: So, Lord, the same spirit, I pray, will help me this morning as, uh, as we look into your word. Last week, we asked the question, what does a successful church look like? I know it's phrased in a, in a businessy sort of way, but I had a testimony behind that. Um, so, really, we're sort of looking at what is God's will for us, as, not just as the church, you know, as Christ's body, but as bulls, whatever we call this year, um, not assembly, Christian Fellowship. Oh, whatever, it's us. Um, and uh, a whole bunch of things came forward. Um, uh, I think it was pointed out perspective is is critical in asking that question, right? Uh, things that the world might see as successful are not necessarily, in fact, are often opposite of what God sees as, as essential and, um, and successful. But the, appropriately, I think the main thing uh, and the most agreed upon and less arguable, is that Jesus needs to be our focus. That's why we exist. We're uh, a church of of his people. He is the head of the church, and if our focus isn't on him or uh, and not entirely on him, then we are less than we're supposed to be. And so this morning, uh, I want to pick up on that theme, uh, and because we're celebrating uh, things we sang about and read about, he was buried and uh, crucified and died and buried, and three days later, he rose from the dead and is seated at the right hand of the Father right now. And he is the head of us. So uh, he is our essential focus. And so our salvation begins by him. It is sustained through him. And it will be perfected by him. And those are the main points we're going to cover this morning. Uh, Nothing new. There should be nothing new. Uh, If there's anything new, then I would expect to be taken aside and asked where I got that from. Uh, So I'm not really teaching, but we're looking at that focus that we uh, We agreed as part of why we gather together, why we are called Christians. So it begins with Jesus, our salvation. In Acts 4, verse 12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When we uh, did a mission trip to India and and it involved preaching in the streets and we'd move around during the day to, I can't remember, it was like half a dozen spots maybe and we'd each have a turn. And um, somebody would preach Jesus, ask at the end of it who wants to, follow Jesus every hand would go up because uh, in their culture we'll add Jesus you bet we'll add anybody you like you know because we've already got thousands of gods now so uh, I'll take that insurance policy as well but Acts makes it clear the entire scripture makes it clear salvation is found in no one else there is no other name by which under heaven by which mankind must be saved Jesus said I am the way the truth and the life and no one comes to the father except through me there's only one way uh, and that is the Lord Jesus. It's, uh, when you witness to the people, they, they think that's very close-minded, that's very, um, what's the right word? I don't know, you're just shutting everybody out. Well, yeah, that's exactly it. God has given one way and one way only. And if you don't like his way, well, you can't get to the destination. So the beginning is difficult for many people, uh, believing in Jesus as being the one way. Jesus is a stumbling block Uh, It's foolishness to to us Greek minds. If you want to keep your life, then you give it away. Uh, If you want to be great in the kingdom, then you're a servant to all. Washing feet is a sign of of success and being approved by God. These things are foolishness to the Greek mind, but they're what is true in the kingdom. Like my reality, uh, I might have feelings that come to me, but I know what the reality is. Uh, Likewise, what the world might see is not necessarily success, but we know what success really looks like. So foolishness to Greeks, to Jews, is a stumbling block. Surely we must keep this law. We've been given and entrusted with these five books of incredible and very complex rules to follow and ways to approach God, and and this is the way to do it. Surely uh, this is the answer. And so faith and uh, and not working is a stumbling block to them, and they, they don't get that. In John 6, 28, they asked him, what must we do to do the works of God? Oh, sorry, the works that God requires. What must we do? We need to do something. What is the ritual involved here? What is the process? What is the the deed that I should accomplish uh, to tick that box? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. That is the work that we have to do. Believe in him. That is the work that I have to do when I wake up and I have troubling thoughts. Well, you know, I think like I shared about Martin Luther the other day, uh, he had troubling thoughts and he woke up and, and there was Satan in his room and he said, oh, it's just you, and he went back to sleep. You know, that's our, that's our attitude. Oh, it's just the devil. I know what the truth is. Uh, it's Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. So the work of God is to believe in what he has done. Yes, I did all those things I was accused of. Yes, I got angry at Sam for eating my chips. Um, and yes, all those other things, uh, but Jesus paid for them completely. It is finished. It is paid in full. And so Jesus remains God's only and complete provision for uh, for getting to heaven. Matthew 7.14 says, Small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. It's pretty tragic and, and sad sort of thing to to face up to. But uh, it is difficult. It's a small gate, and uh, there's only one way. It's Jesus and nothing else. And uh, and narrow is the way. So It begins with Jesus by that small gate, and narrow is the way. It is sustained by Jesus. There is a way to follow. Jesus says, I am the way. I'm not just uh, the gate, not to the sheepfold, but I am the sheepfold. I am the way that you travel on that straight and narrow path. No one can say, I've been to the cross, and I've I've, I've, uh, entered the small gate, and I'll take it from here. Thanks very much. Um, because for most of us, uh, most of us have been through that gate, and we're still alive. We're not dead yet. There's still a path to be followed. There's still a life to be lived. Through many dangers, toils, and sneers, I have already come, the song goes. And there's a ways to go yet. There's more dangers and s- sneers and sorrows, and uh, there's more of a battle to be fought. He's not just uh, the way to be born again. Here's the way to live. Here's the life, the way, the truth, and the life. Mark 8.34 says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. So you can't go your own way, you have to go his way, if you want to be his disciple. So we haven't just entered into that insurance policy, uh, like our Indian friends, uh, just, yes, I'll, I'll enter through that door, but I won't travel, it's, uh, we have to follow him, there's a path to be tread, like pilgrim. And the thing is, if you truly met Jesus, you would ache for his presence. If you truly went through that gate the proper way through Jesus and entered the sheepfold, you would ache for his presence and long for him and long for the sense of his smiling face and his fellowship of his spirit as you walk the path. We read, uh, cast me not away from your presence, O Lord. We read, we sang it. Um, and such a tremendous psalm. Oh, surely every saint holds this so dear because we all sin and we know we offend God in many ways and we grieve the spirit, uh, and yet we say, cast me not away from your presence, O Lord. That's the important thing. Yes, I want to be forgiven and I want to put things right, and etc. et, cetera, et cetera. But, Lord, the main thing is like Moses said, if you don't go with us, we don't want to go. You know, What are we without you? Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation and renew in me a right spirit. So it's a, it's a walk that we must do. If, and if we're truly, truly belonging to him, we will want to do it and we will follow him. Galatians 2 verse 20 says that I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So those Jews who asked him, what must me do to uh, do the works of God? He said, believe in the one he has sent, believe in me. That's the work that you have to do, and that's how we continue. We live by believing in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. This isn't my life anymore. I surrendered it. I was a slave to sin. I could do whatever I wanted. can always go back there if I really wanted, but I want him, and therefore I'm a slave to righteousness, and it is Christ that lives in me. And the life that I now live in this flesh, I live by faith in him, regardless of outside influences, everything that might tell me the opposite. He's not coming back. He's not in control. Uh, you have to wear a mask every time you go to the foursquare and you forget it all the time because you change your pants and it just drives you crazy. So anyway, w- once we're born again by faith, we continue to live in that faith. So it's amazing grace, amazing grace that brought us to and through the gate. Jesus is the gate. And as his grace has led me safe this far, and grace will lead me home. Grace is, the, is what we walk in, the, the power that he gives, um, not our own strength. So we begin with Jesus. We we carry on this walk with Jesus, and it is perfected by Jesus. We have a destination. Uh, it's not just uh, going for a walk, but we're going somewhere. I I like um, when we uh, oh when we go out on our bikes. Um, you can just do a loop, or you can just do it there and back. But I like to go somewhere where there's a, a mochaccino and a big sugary cake at the end of it. You know, I like a destination. There's a purpose. When I finish all the sweaty bike riding, um, I get to a place, and there's uh, something to do at the end of it. Well, that's, that's so with us. We're not just on a walk. Uh, there is a destination. There is a great joy set before us. And there is a wonderful place that we're headed for. Hebrews 12, verse 2 says, Let us run with perseverance, this rake's marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer uh, and perfecter of our faith. Uh, I think it's, it is it's, uh, the NIV that uses pioneer and several other versions. Um, others include the founder the author, the originator, and the leader. So he's the one who went before us. In Colossians, it says, in all things he would have preeminence. He would always be first, first raised from the dead, and so on. He's the pioneer of our faith. He is the one who paved the way for us. And he is the perfecter. He's going to bring us with him. Finisher, other versions have the finisher. Um, he who began a good work in you, it says in Philippians, will carry it on to completion. He's not going to leave us alone. Uh, sometimes the rod... Because we're being foolish sheep and we need a bit of a hiding, and he will correct us. Sometimes it's his staff, just as comfort, you know, um, keep fending off enemies and guiding us in the way we should go. But he is the founder and the perfecter, and he will do it. Our faith feeds on the word of God. And all things, even the wicked, are sustained by him. Colossians 1.15, In him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, Whether thrones or powers, rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Revelation 22, 13, he said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So Jesus as Messiah wasn't God's backup plan. I've heard this many, many times. I'm going to say it again because it as repeating. Uh, it wasn't, uh, you know, whoops, Adam and Eve failed. Uh, what will I do now? Uh, I guess I'll have to drown them all in a flood and start again. Um, that failed, you know, and on and on. Uh, Jesus Christ, it says again in Revelation, he is the lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. Before Adam and Eve had the breath of life in them, God had a plan um, that he would send Jesus to pay for the sins that he knew that we would commit uh, so that we could always be with him. And right from the start, uh, the Jews for whom uh, this believing is such a stumbling block, they were given hints uh, when, uh, when uh, they fell in the garden, and uh, he gave that great prophecy that um, Satan would sure enough bruise uh, the man-child's heel, but he would crush his head. Um, and from then on, they were looking, always, weren't they, that every hero in the Bible, they thought, this must be Messiah. Um, Eve said, what does she say? Something weird, some weird sentence like, God has given me a man, or... Or with the help of God, I've produced a man or something, you know, indicating that she thought this was the Messiah that was prophesied about. And so on through the ages. But through the ages, they were given heaps and heaps of uh, indications of exactly how he would be like. Um, when the Lord found them walking in the garden and he saw the pathetic leaves that were covering their important bits and pieces and how pathetic and flimsy and, and unreliable they were um, to cover their sin. Their efforts were absolutely useless. And so, of course, right from the beginning, uh, he set a pattern. A life was given, a skin, an animal skin was given to cover their sin. And so the indication, the symbolism being uh, a life was given to pay for the the death that had entered into them so that they could have life. Uh, Like the last time I talked, this is uh, sort of influenced by what I'm reading at the moment, Deuteronomy. And so look at the prophet. They were told a prophet is coming. And God told Moses, the nations you will dispossess, those who practice sorcery or divination. The second half of the sentence. But as for you, the Lord your God has not permitted you to do these things. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. Okay, this is Moses talking to the people, sorry. Uh, so he's telling them, the Lord will raise up a prophet like Moses from among you, your fellow from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him, for this is what You asked of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God or see his great fire any more or we will die. The Lord said to me, What they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites. I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. Jesus said, "Uh, I only speak the things that my father tells me. But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name, anything I have not commanded, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods, is to be put to death. So they were told somebody like Moses, somebody who did signs and wonders, somebody who spoke face-to-face with God and spoke the words of God directly from him. Not like other prophets, it says, who had dreams and visions and maybe other things. Uh, Hebrews caught up with that later on and said, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. But Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as a builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. And on and on the Old Testament goes, um, preparing the way, Passover, there's a lamb has to be killed on a certain day that happened to be uh, the same day that Jesus was crucified. Um, All sorts of things, talking about where he would be raised, where he would be born, his suffering, his betrayal, riding a donkey into Jerusalem, all sorts of little details. On and on, it was was, uh, prophesied until Jesus the man finally came and fulfilled them all. So that Paul was able in Acts 18.28, it says, he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the Scriptures, obviously not the New Testament Scriptures because he was still in the act of writing those and producing those, but proving from the Old Testament, from Deuteronomy and, and the laws of Moses and the prophets, that Jesus was the Messiah. And that would be a, a wonderful sermon to have heard, or even Jesus went on the mass Road. And so most of all this weekend, uh, Jesus Saviour. Uh, there's a, a wonderful old tract called The Roman's Road. Many of you would have heard of The Roman's Road, and it simply picks out a few bits from Romans and puts them in an order uh, that presents the gospel. And it starts at verse chapter 3, 23, and it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So imagine you're approaching somebody and, and you're explaining the gospel, and um, this will lay it out for them scripturally. All have sinned and fall short of the gospel. Everybody needs a saviour. John 3.18 says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So our woeful default setting for mankind is that we're condemned. We're born condemned. Uh, And we need a Savior. Everybody needs a Savior. And judgment is coming and getting closer every day. Then it goes to 6.23, well, the first half of 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. All have sinned, and this is the consequence of sin. Even uh, Bill Randalls, our beloved brother, who I was looking forward to seeing after all this nonsense is finished, uh, and yet the Lord's decided that that's enough for Bill. He's run his race. and So Bill has died, and yet uh, he will not enter the second death. That's what this is talking about, the wages of sin. Uh, Bill, is, uh, is, uh, as a believer in Jesus, will not cover, uh, be held to account for the wages of sin because... Jesus was. Uh, But for those who do not believe, the second death, as Luke describes in 12.5, I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. And you have good reason to fear him because that is true. So the wages of sin is that death. And then 5 verse 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So you've got some bad news, uh, there are some consequences to the way you're going, but here's, uh, here's the good news, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So hell is a destination for all of us without him, but God is compassionate and gracious and gives everything, gave everything. There's nothing more he could have given to present this, prevent that from happening and for us to be with him. Then we go back to 623, the second half of that verse. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wages of sin and death, but the gift of God is eternal life. When you stop kicking against the goads, um, the goads are, you know, when you're plowing behind an animal, for those of you who've done that, and uh, it needs a little bit of motivation, and you have a long pointy stick, and you just poke it to make it go. That's a a goad. You goad it into doing what you want to. And um, the Lord goads us into following him. You know, he told Paul to stop kicking against the goads. You know, this is the way you should go. And he finally went in it. So when we finally do that and we humble ourselves, he grants us. Uh, and I immediately thought of that last verse when I did Psalm 16 a, a couple of months ago, and the last verse of Psalm 16 is what the gift of God is like. You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with your with joy in your presence and with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Uh, so heaven is going to be awesome. At work, I listen, they listen to the sound all the time, which is kind of music from my era, so music I'm really familiar with, but Wow, the more I hear it every day, and it's really loud because it's a noisy factory, and it's all, you know, sex and drugs and rock and roll and suicide and and cheating on you. You know, I left my family in Baltimore, Jack, I went out for a ride, I never went back. That's really cool. You just said that you're a jerk, you know, but that's the kind of music on and on and on all day, and it it can get me down sometimes. But um, God says, you make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence. And with eternal pleasures at your right hand, there'll be none of those things coming in, none of those troubled sleeps or anything. Uh, It'll be eternal pleasures, no more crying, no more tears, no more nagging. Uh, There'll be all the chips you can eat. They'll never run out, just eternal chips, all sorts of flavors too. You'll be able to eat as much as you want. But you'll have self-control, so you probably won't eat them. So there's a waste of time. Anyway, and finally with uh, 10 verse 9. Romans 10 verse 9, it says, if you declare, So we've heard the bad news, we've heard the good news, we've heard the way of escape. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. And finally, 10 verse 13, it says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That abounding love that are that we need to meditate on and remember, especially when Satan, was it when Satan tempts me to despair, yeah, well done, and tells me of the guilt, with, guilt within, up I look and see him there who put an end to all my sin. And so when we're doing that, um, what was I thinking? Oh, that abounding love. Oh, yeah, it reminded me of Manasseh, you know, that king that stinkiest of of most wretched, horrible, sinful. Not only was he so sinful and burned his own children in the fire to Molech or one of the other gods, um, he caused many others to do the same, and he killed innocent people, and he was just a complete tow rag. In fact, uh, the scripture goes on and on to to compare rotten people with Manasseh. He says, this guy was so bad, he was like Manasseh. So Manasseh came a a byword for a, a complete, wicked, sinful person. But even Manasseh, when he was punished by God and taken away uh, as a captive by a foreign army, uh, he called on the name of God and God forgave him. And that was it. God blessed him and sent him back to Israel. Now, I don't know if that means that he got saved and, and we'll see him at home. I, I kind of hope so. But uh, but Scripture doesn't really talk about him after that, except to say that he's a byword for being being wicked. But... um. If God can bless somebody who's like the worst of people in that way, I really hope we do see him. I hope that was like absolute getting saved, born again stuff, because that would just be so typical of the Lord. It reminds me of when um, that guy had a had a vineyard or a field or something, and he came to get those people in the marketplace in the morning. He says, "Hey, come on, fellas, you can come and work for me today." Uh, and then he went out back, you know, at lunchtime, and oh, there's a few more come and work for me. And then there's some guys towards the end of the day. He says. What are you doing standing here all day? Come and work for me. And then he divvied it all up. At the end of the day, he started to pay them. He paid the last guys first, and he gave them the same amount as the first guys. And the first guy says, Hey, what up with this? You, I worked all day. He only worked, you know, in the cool of the evening. He got the same. Now, the point of that story is to show that God can do whatever he likes. He says... Don't I have the right to do with, with what I have, whatever I like? But uh, the thing is, I can relate to that feeling. If Manasseh is there, I hope he is. But I think, Lord, that Tareg, you know, just the last few years of his life, he did all those wretched things and you saved him. Here I am waking up every morning struggling with these, you know, memorizing scripture. It's hard. And fasting, you know, that's, that's, can hell be worse than fasting? Obviously it can. But, you know, it's all these hard things that we do, trying to be righteous, um, and we get in and get the same reward as Manasseh. But the point is God's abounding love. All you need to do is just look up from your sin and look at the Savior, and that's what he offers, absolute forgiveness to separate your sin as far as the east is from the west. There is, you know, just poles apart. Uh, they will never see each other again, and that's what he has provided for us. So that's a, a wonderful little trip through Romans. If you ever want to look that up and find the Romans Road um, it's a it's a nice little thing to remember. I've sort of got it tagged in my Bible where to go. I've never used it, but if I do. And so that's uh that's it. Now I've come to the last page which is my communion, which I started with.